Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, the health, medicine, and bioscience edition. Uh, It's my job to find the experts, the geniuses in their fields and interview them. I've spoken to well over 2,000 people uh, the past three and a half years. And today my guest is Lawrence Kirshner. He's a physician and a scientist, kind of in both worlds, a clinical endocrinologist. He has more than 20 years experience and he uh, has experience treating people with uh, pituitary and adrenal tumors, including adrenal cancer and uh, another type of of cancer I can't pronounce right now. But um, uh, glad to have him. Lawrence, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Great, thanks. It's nice to be with you today. Yeah, I, I think it's cool that you're uh, both a physician and a scientist. It seems rare. People seem to stick to their uh, their knitting. Well, any comments on that? Like, why have you made the? Uh, why do you straddle both worlds, and why don't a lot of people do that? Um, well, I can only t- tell you from my experience that I love having a foot in both worlds. You know, I'm, I've uh, always been an active uh, scientist, really interested in, in research and trying to figure things out. Uh, but, you know, the clinical side is really adds a lot to it because it lets me see the, the kind of problems that, that real, real world people face. And it, I think, really helps focus my, my science and, and thinking about, you know, what can we do that, that may eventually have some impact in the clinic. Um, you know, to answer your question about how, how common is, is this, um, it's, it's not that common. It's, you know, it's, I think it's uh, the number of physician scientists is, uh, is getting squeezed a little bit by by the needs of both you know the clinical environment and the research environment, but there's still a really a uh, a small and dedicated group of us that that really love to do this. Well, when you're a physician and a scientist, I mean, you know, most scientists they're attached to universities, you know, other organizations. Um, do you get funding from NIH and places like that, or do you have to self-fund your research? Uh, no, the, the funding is similar to, to other PhD scientists. It's primarily NIH funding. Sometimes some found, foundations will chip in as well, but the NIH is the big source. And um, okay, and then the research that you're doing. Well, let's talk about what do you do on the clinical side right now, and then what's your research about? So on the clinical side, I I'm a clinical endocrinologist, as you mentioned, and I'm a really a subspecialist focusing on diseases of of the pituitary and and really mostly the adrenal gland. Um, so that involves patients that have tumors of the adrenal gland of different types, uh, both adrenal cortical cancer and a, a benign tumors, as well as another type of tumor, which you couldn't pronounce, which, which is called a pheochromocytoma, which is an adrenaline secreting tumor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then I also see uh, patients that have inherited diseases that affect primarily, primarily the adrenal glands. A number of tumor syndromes are like that. And I specialize in that. So what, what kind of diseases affect Again, people adrenally, has it been figured out how and why and what are the precursors to people having adrenal disease? And what are some of them? So I tend to think of them as sort of two different uh, categories, those that have adrenal overfunction and those that have adrenal underfunction um, or adrenal insufficiency, as we say. Um, And it's really been an interesting field to be in over the last you know, 20 years, 25 years, 
The, the most common cause of adrenal insufficiency is a condition called congenital adrenal hyperplasia. And that's been known about for a long time and the genetics of that have been, have been well worked out. Um, but, but there's been a number of other conditions that have, been, uh, that have been really discovered or understood over the last maybe 10, 15 years that also cause the adrenal glands not to function normally. Um, and then, and on the other side, you know, uh, adrenal tumors that secrete hormones um, is a really sort of a different and fascinating area of research. And again, that sort of the understanding of the genetics of these adrenal tumors is just increased by leaps and bounds over, over the time that I've been really doing this. Do uh, adrenal cancers and adrenal conditions correlate with, you know, dysfunction in other organs and, you know, are they common? So adrenal cancers are, are fortunately very rare because they're very uh, difficult to treat. They can be associated with other, uh, other types of tumors, but most of the time adrenal cancers just come, uh, come sporadically. They're not inherited in any way. Do, again, do any adrenal conditions seem to correlate with dysfunction in other organs? So, yeah, I guess the way I would answer that is adrenal tumors that secrete hormones can have a lot of uh, significant effects. So the most common hormones that we see from these adrenal tumors are, are the most common one is probably cortisol, which is a type of steroid hormone like, like prednisone or something like that. Uh, and patients that have tumors that secrete cortisol can have a lot of problems. So it's a hormone that causes people to gain, gain a lot of weight. It causes diabetes and high blood pressure. Um, it also can cause osteoporosis. So people get fragile bones and a fragile skin as well. Um, so, so people that have, have this condition, excess cortisol or, or Cushing syndrome, uh, have a lot of systemic medical issues related to just the hormone part of it. Mm, okay. So, uh, of the common conditions you see, are they very treatable, barely treatable? You know, what are a few examples? So adrenal cancer is uh, not particularly treatable. Uh, that's one of the ones that we, we struggle a lot. It's a very, it tends, like, tends to be a very aggressive cancer. A lot of the other things are much more treatable. So the much more common thing that we see are, are benign adrenal tumors that either make hormones or don't make hormones. And the ones that don't make hormones, actually, we just tend to leave them alone. They they're just sit there not doing much. The ones that make hormones, either we, we take them out surgically, or sometimes we actually have, um, we, meaning the medical community, has developed over the past you know, number of years a number of treatments that are specific for different hormones. So depending on what hormone is being produced in excess, um, there's probably a medicine that can be used either to prevent the adrenal gland from making the hormone or to block the action of the hormone. Yeah, you mentioned there's cortisol-producing tumors. What are the, the other substances that can get produced but hormone? Yeah, so, so uh, there's another hormone made by the adrenal gland called aldosterone, which is a blood pressure hormone. So people that have that, that type of, uh, of tumor uh, will have high blood pressure, uh, often associated with, with low potassium as well. Uh, and that we can treat medically um, if, if surgery is not the right approach. And then occasionally we'll see adrenal tumors that make testosterone or the male hormones. And uh, those can be very pro problematic, particularly in women, obviously. Um, and, then, and then, as I mentioned earlier, the adrenaline screening tumors, uh, and those, those are sort of a whole different challenge. What happens if the uh, tumor produces a lot of adrenaline? What will the person experience? Yeah, so, it's, so adrenaline, is, as you may know, is the fight or flight hormone. So, so these tumors that produce adrenaline typically cause a bunch of different things. They cause uh, headaches, they cause sort of sweating and shaking. Um, they, they do cause high blood pressure usually. 
Um, and, and heart palpitations are very common as well. That, that, and, and anxiety is a kind of overall feature that the patient's experiences are very common, those things. Okay, and then what happens in your uh, research? What are you looking at? Yeah, so, so my research is related, but not directly related to the patients that I see. I, my research is focused on understanding the genetics of endocrine tumors. So we start out by studying, we started out by studying a number of genes that cause these very rare inherited tumor syndromes that involve, uh, involve endocrine organs, typically the adrenal gland, but not, not uh, exclusively. And, and the thrust of my research is really uh, to understand how these genes, which we know cause tumors in, in people, how they actually work, how they cause excess cell proliferation um, or, or overgrowth or unregulated growth. Or sometimes we also try to understand how they cause excess tumors, excess hormone secretion rather. Okay. So, I mean, what have you, what have you discovered so far? Yeah. So, so um, my work originated with studying a, a very rare tumor syndrome called Carney complex uh, named for Dr. Carney, who's a pathologist at the Mayo Clinic who sort of put this rare group of tumors together. And, and uh, I discovered a number of years ago that uh, this was caused by a gene um, called PRKAR1A, which is a very long name. We, we call it R1A, much easier to, to say that. And this gene functions in a key signaling pathway, which affects all cells called the cyclic AMP protein kinase A signaling pathway. And that pathway is conserved in, in people all the way down to, to early bacteria. Uh, so it's really one of these fundamental pathways of understanding how a, a cell interacts with its environment. Uh, we know that's important in, in endocrine tissues because, you know, endocrine hormones are one ways that's one of the ways that cells communicate with each other within, within the body. Uh, and so we've been really trying to tease out when you dysregulate this pathway, how that contributes to tumor formation. And, and we've, um, we found a number of other pathways that are, that are regulated or appear to interact at least with this protein kinase A pathway um, and promote cell growth. So is there, um, what's, what's different or significant about adrenal-based tumors? Do they, I mean, in terms of the cancer mechanisms and effects, are they very different from other cancers or pretty similar? It's just they have different oncogenes that cause them? Or you know, have you seen, again, that it's, it's very different or kind of similar? Um, they're a pretty unique set of, of, uh, of cancers. Some of the genes that we've seen in endocrine, uh, in, in adrenal cancers relate to the beta catenin pathway, which is another pathway that's actually, um, activated in a number of other tumors such as colon cancer, for example. Um, but there's a number of other genes that are, that interact with the beta catenin pathway that seem to be somewhat unique for adrenal cancers. Uh, and then there's been a lot of actually interest in how the protein kinase A pathway, the, the pathway that I you know, study, um, which is normally one of the pathways that the cells use to secrete hormones, how that can be upregulated or downregulated during the course of, uh, of cancer development and progression. Hmm, okay. So are there any particulars? Uh, adrenal cancers are inherited. Do they, of the ones that are inherited, do they strike early or late or men or women? Are there any propensities to them? Uh, the inherited cancers we tend to see early. Uh, the most, the most type, common type of uh, inherited endocrine cancer is part of a syndrome called Lee-Fraumeni syndrome, which is due to mutations in the P53 gene, which is a very well-known oncogene, uh, actually, sorry, tumor suppressor gene. I have to be, uh, be on point there. Um, and then, uh, yeah, as I said, they tend, to, they tend to be seen, you know, relatively 
earlier in, in, inherited, in inherited settings than, than in sporadic uh, group of patients. For, you know, we know adrenal cancer overall has a, has a female predominance, about two to three uh, to one over, over women to men. Um, and why that okay. is, that, that we don't really understand quite yet. I just had a more general question that came to mind. Um, you know, you mentioned P53. In various cancers, that, uh, that gene could play a role, right? Absolutely. But when a cancer happens, it tends to happen in, you know, at least for what we know, in a, in a specific organ and therefore a specific subset of cell types. But the, <coughs> the genes that are getting turned on, at least some of them, you know, obviously exist in all cells. It's just interesting that it happens in, you know, these particular cell types, and, but yet it's the same set or a similar set of genes that get, uh, get altered. I wonder what that says about the mechanism of it, you know? It was beyond I, I, random. Think, I completely agree. I mean, the, the genes that we study, for example, the R1A gene that I mentioned before, is sort of the same story. It's expressed throughout the body, um, but patients don't get tumors everywhere. They only get them in a certain subset of tumors. The same thing with, with PV3 and a number of, number of these other tumor suppressor genes. It's, it's a great question that I really wish I had the answer to, because I do, I do get asked that, and, you know, me, like everyone else, doesn't have the answer. Do you know that? I don't know how many types of cancer are there. I guess a hundred at least. But has anyone mapped the genes that that seem to be involved in the cancer for all types of cancers and looked for the most common overlaps, and then maybe looked for mechanisms on how those genes are, you know, regulated, expressed, epigenetically changed, et cetera, maybe to find clues. Yeah. So that's that's actually been done. There's um, I'm trying to think. It was a few years ago now where they sort of, you know, there's been this large effort funded by the NIH called the Cancer Genome Atlas, where they've looked at, you know, a, 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 I don't know, 20 or 30, so maybe more at this point, cancers and just sequenced tumors, large numbers of tumors. Uh, and, and so there's a tremendous, very rich database of, of all this information. And, and people have tried to do exactly what you just said, which is look for things that are common. But I think, and there are some things that are common, um, but I, I think what, at least my impression is, and, and some of our work that we've done in the laboratory bears this out, is that, that genes behave very differently in different tissues. Um, even, you know, even if they're expressed multiple places, you know, taking a gene out of one place or mutating it in one place is, can have very different effects from doing the exact same thing in a different tissue. So it's, you know, it's a little bit hard to make those broad generalizations. Well, I'm sure the effects would be different, but the mechanism by which it is altered may be the same because it's altering that same stretch of, you know, of DNA. So maybe it could be traced back in that way. And, you know, I, I don't know, it'd just be interesting to look at, again, the epigenetics that involve that particular gene, for instance, the P53, you know, across all cancers and across all cell types. I don't know, yeah, it, there's a ton more to look at, I'm sure, the fucking. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's a great question. And it's, it's sort of one of these very big and fundamental questions that, that um, People, people stew about, but I don't know anyone's come up with a great way to, to experimentally try to figure that out. And in terms of the, the cancers you look at, you know, have you, has anyone identified like an adrenal microbiome? You know, have you observed, has anyone spoken anything about you know, a microbiome of the adrenals and how that you know, interacts with, uh, with tumors on them? Um, that's not a topic that's really come up in the adrenal world yet. Um, you know, there wouldn't be a specific microbiome because it, it's the the glands are not exposed to the external environment. But I don't know that anyone's looked at, um, you know, if you, if you were to do a, a gut microbiome and see how that correlates with the adrenal glands. Not, not no, to my knowledge. 
Gotcha. And what about uh, like cell to cell signaling? You know, the adrenals. Has anyone looked at like uh, you know the extracellular vesicles that you know adrenal uh, cells put out for any clues there on what's going on? There's been a little bit of work like that, but but I think you know in the adrenal field it's probably not so subtle. You know, we know that we know that the um, obviously adrenal glands make hormones. They make a bunch of different hormones depending on and, and the adrenal gland. Um, you could think of it as sort of like a, a sphere where each of the different, you know, or a set of concentric spheres or nesting spheres where each one makes a slightly different hormone. Um, so you can actually, you know, look at cells that, that are from the outer part of the gland make, you know, may make different hormones from cells that are, that are closer to the middle and so on. Um, okay. And how those, how those, you know, play a role is, is um, uh, been very interesting. Actually, there, there's been a lot of really interesting data probably over the last, you know, for two to three years of over how does a cell decide when they're going to make, you know, one hormone and then, and then they make a different hormone and they make a slightly different hormone as the cells migrate towards the middle of the gland. That, that seems to happen. And it's been a lot of really interesting molecular dissection by, by a number of labs here. Not, not, mean, here, this, not here in my place, but. Yeah, the, this may be, I don't know, this may be a really ignorant question. I don't know. But the adrenal glands, you know, the two of them, they sit on top of the kidneys. Are they, are they literally connected to the kidney? you know, through like an extracellular matrix where they're you know, like kind of glued onto them or, or how do they interface with the kidney? The kidneys? Yeah, so, so the answer is no. They, they just, you know, they, uh, they just sort of sit there. They don't, they don't really have any particular relationship to the kidney other than they actually, the kidney and the adrenal gland sort of start in different places and then, and then during embryogenesis, they kind of migrate and bump into each other and sort of stop there. So they're, it's really the fact that they're called the adrenal glands is really just sort of an accident of, of geography more so than anything else. Are they connected, the two glands, or are they truly separate? They're separate. They're separate. Okay. So in, when you see cancers or dysfunction, is it uniform across both of the glands, or is it preferentially in left or right for some reason? And you know, how do they differ? Yeah. So, um, you know, cancers typically are will be one side or the other and there's not there's not a particular preference uh there's you know there's a lot of data about you know maybe one is 55 percent the other one is 45 percent but i think in the big picture you know left and right seem to be about the same um that's that's in the the tumor world uh you know we know there are a number of diseases that affect both glands um equally um and in fact one of the i mentioned before this aldosterone hormone um, and if you make too much of that it causes high blood pressure probably about half the people that have that actually have a condition that, that's general, often not understood that affects both glands. Um, so, so we know both glands are overactive and they're, they're not regulated properly because they don't make the right amount of hormone. But you know, that's, that's, the, that's the, uh, the clinical observation. And the molecular observation is we, we know sometimes what causes that, particularly in these very unusual inherited syndromes. Uh, but for most people, we don't really know why both glands just start working too hard. I mean, so is it possible to help people where you can take out one of the adrenal glands if it's, let's say it's cancerous, but they can still get along with one? You know, is that a situation? Yeah, that's, that's something that happens, you know, pretty commonly in patients that have adrenal tumors. Uh, one, one adrenal gland is enough. You don't, you don't need to. Um, so if, you know, a patient that has a benign tumor certainly will take out the one with the tumor and leave the other one alone. Um, you know, patients that have cancers, if, if, if we can take, if we can do the surgery, then we will. Okay. Then, um, what do you sense is, is nearing maybe a breakthrough in understanding either treatment or just pure understanding, you know, in the adrenal world? 
Well, I think one of the um, real exciting things in the field is that there's, at least in the adrenal cancer field specifically, is that, that, is that first of all, I should preface this by saying it's an incredibly rare disease. Literally about one in a million patients, uh, one in a million people have the adrenal cancer. So you know, for any one physician or hospital or group to try to do clinical research studies, it just, it just doesn't work because no one has enough patients. So what's happened over the past maybe 15 to 20 years, the whole international community of people that, that has interest in adrenal cancer has gotten together uh, to form an international consortium. So we actually have been able to do some of these clinical trials uh, to try to understand how different chemotherapy agents work, which ones are better than other ones. Um, so I think, you know, I think in the big picture, we're definitely making progress. Um, I think with all the um, molecular testing that's going on, we are certainly getting closer to identifying targets that will work better. Um, you know, it's been a little bit um, unsatisfying. There's a real lot of excitement about uh, the signaling pathway called IGF, uh, IGF-1, IGF-1 receptor, uh, because we know that's overexpressed in a lot of adrenal cancers. So a number of drug companies had developed drugs targeting, targeting this, uh, and clinically, they've been a little bit disappointing. Um, it may be that there's a subset of tumors that will respond to that and other ones that need a different combination, or di- either a different, different therapy or a different combination of therapies. And I think we're not there yet, but we're, we're getting closer. Well, very good. What, what's the best way for people to find out more? Um, so that's a good question. <laughs> Yeah, at least find access to some papers maybe that you put out or just get a more sense of the research that's going on. I mean, I always, you know, I always say clinicaltrials.gov is a great, great site to find out what active clinical trials are, are ongoing. Um, there's a number of um, sort of patient advocacy, patient support groups that are, that are actually have, have been quite helpful. Uh, there's, I believe, a, I think the site's called adrenalcorticalcarcinoma.com. Uh, that that's run by a, uh, a, a spouse of a patient who had who had the disease and ended up dying, and he's been a um, you know a really good support person. Um, the also I, I think the the endocrine society and the hormone society websites have have good information about adrenal cancer and you know where the the research is is going on these days. Um, so those are kind of good places to start. Okay, very good. Well, Lawrence, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. It's been great talking to you. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. 